0: If you have a Bible with you this morning, or you can open that Bible app, but I want to invite you to join me in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. The title of the message today is The Credibility Gap. The credibility gap is a phrase that was coined back in the 1960s and 70s, primarily referring to the presidency of Lyndon B. Johnson. We actually have a picture of this this morning, but... The credibility gap speaks of when you say something, but there is a gap between what you have said and what the truth actually is. And this specifically happened because of things that went on with the Vietnam War. And you might say one thing, but as time goes on... All that comes out is that what you have said was actually not really lining up with the, what the truth actually was. That there is a credibility gap between the truth and what you have spoken. Growing up, uh, you may have read that book, The Boy Who Cried Wolf. Uh, here's somebody who says something And Says something and says something and every time that people come running they find out that what he is saying is actually not the truth that there is a credibility gap and so In in that moment that he actually needs some real help. No one trusts him. No one believes him and he is left to fend for himself Today is father's day And and so I think of myself as a dad and I want to teach my kids to speak the truth uh, to close the the gap to Uh, really mean what it is that they say and say what it is that they mean, what really has happened. Now, uh, we don't have to teach our kids how to lie because that's so natural. They do that on their own, right? What we need to teach our kids as fathers, particularly, is how to speak the truth. In the passage that we're going to be looking at today, Jesus is talking about oaths. He's talking about vows, the words that we say. And whatever, whenever the Bible talks about our words, uh, the tongue, and our speech, it is good for us to pay attention to that. James talks about this in his epistle, James chapter 3, and he says in verse 2, For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble... In what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. This is such an important topic. We would do well to pay careful attention to what Jesus says here in Matthew chapter 5. As we study through our text today, we're going to talk about a few things here. First, we're going to talk about the purpose of oaths. Second, we'll talk about the problem with oaths. And then finally, we'll walk away with some principles. So, the purpose, the problem, and some principles. Your Bible's open. Matthew chapter 5. We want to begin reading in verse 33. Here's what Jesus says. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. So, Here is the fourth of six comparison statements that Jesus makes here in the Sermon on the Mount, where he says, you know what, you've heard that this was said, but I am saying this to you. For those of you who were with us last week, we looked at the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, and on numerous occasions, Jesus talks about his supreme authority. And here at the very beginning of this message in the Sermon on the Mount, he is saying again and again and again, you have heard this was said, but I'm saying this to you. You need to listen to what I'm about to say here. Because the words of Jesus have a unique authority in our lives. Again, Jesus is raising the bar. He is drilling down deep into our hearts. This Sermon on the Mount is not a description about how to get saved. He is talking to his disciples. He is talking to followers of his, and he is teaching us how to live after we have been saved. How should we act? How should we behave? The idea here is that our lives should make an imprint on those around us. You might think about it a little bit like this. I, I, I know that there are some things about me that might seem a little strange at times, a little bit unusual, but one of the things that I actually like to do is laundry and in fact I think that my kids know that I like to do laundry so much that they take their clothes and they throw their clothes their towels their blankets in the dirty pile when they're not even dirty because they just know that I like to do laundry but whatever I mean I like to do laundry right and a lot of times I will do two or three loads of laundry a day but if you have ever been washing your clothes and maybe you're washing a load of whites and you accidentally leave a red sock in or a blue sock in there and after it's all done you come back and you find out that the dye from that sock has actually got on your white clothes and has made an imprint It has stained them it has caused them to turn colors well. In a similar way, we as Christians are called to make an imprint, to affect, to impact those around us with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it all starts in the heart. So that's why Jesus is drilling down deep here in this section, he says, you know what? It's not just about not committing murder, but what about anger? And it's not just about not committing adultery, but what about the lust in your heart? And then... He talks about our words, how we speak. Are we telling the truth when we speak? And so let's talk here about the definition of an oath or a vow. Here's what that means. It means to give a solemn promise in order to indicate that you are telling the truth. To give a solemn promise in order to indicate that you're telling the truth. It's given to add emphasis to your words because the implication is that your words in and of themselves don't have enough worth to prove themselves to be true. You need to add a higher authority to what you say in order to prove that what you're saying is true. You have to make an oath. You have to make a vow. Maybe you remember saying something like this when you were a kid I cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. Now, that, that if you think about that, that's kind of strange, a bit gruesome if you think about it. But basically what you're saying is that you would say that in order to say what I'm about to say is true. You can count on it. I cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. Or you've made a pinky promise. You know, you can't break a pinky promise, Right. That's what an oath is. It is adding weight to your words, adding a witness to what you say. In the scriptures, over 200 times, we see this idea of an oath, uh, of a vow. Now, here in Matthew chapter 5, we read this phrase that you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. That's not a cross-reference. There's nowhere else where you're going to find that verse in the Bible. What Jesus is doing is he's kind of summarizing a whole bunch of different verses that talk about the importance of not making empty or meaningless promises. Now, I want to just give you a few examples of this from the Old Testament so that you can kind of see what God says about this. First, Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 12 says, you shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of god, uh, of your god I am the Lord he says, you know what, don't walk around saying that I promise you by God Almighty when what you're saying isn't in fact true. Don't do that because what you're doing in that moment is you're actually taking God's name in vain. It is empty. You're just throwing his name around. And so don't throw his name around, especially if you know that what you're saying isn't even right. Or what about Numbers chapter 30 in verse 2, which says this. If a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. It's saying you need to do what what you say you're going to do. You need to follow through with your commitments. Deuteronomy chapter 23 and verse 21 if you make a, a, a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay fulfilling it. For the Lord your God will surely require it of you and you will be guilty of sin. It's saying, listen, if you make a vow before God and you fail to keep it, God is going to hold you accountable. Zechariah chapter 8 and verse uh, 17 do not devise evil in your hearts against one another and love no false oath for these things I hate declares the Lord God says I hate false oaths and so Jesus makes this summary statement here in Matthew chapter 5 by saying you shall not swear falsely but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn so what is the function? What's the purpose? What, what, is, the, what is the role of these oaths? First, they were to seal an agreement. To seal an agreement. And uh, you would make this oath in order to confirm a decision that was made. How can I trust you? How can I believe what you've just said? Well, let's make an oath. Let's seal this agreement with an oath. For instance, you might remember Abraham when he's on his deathbed, he's getting old, he's talking to one of his servants, and he says, This, I don't want you to take a wife for Isaac from the Canaanites. I I, I want you, I, I, I don't want you to marry, I don't want Isaac marrying one of the girls around here. I want you to go back to my homeland, and I want you to find a bride for Isaac back there. Now, how was Abraham going to know that Isaac would actually or that his servant would actually do this for Isaac? Well, they made an oath about this. In fact, here's what it says in Genesis chapter 24 and verses uh, two through four says. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had. He said, put your hand under my thigh that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for, for my son Isaac. So they had this vow The servant makes this oath and they they do this in order to uh, prove that the servant is actually going to do what Abraham has asked him to do. Now, the purpose of an oath is not just to seal an agreement, but it was also to solve a dispute, to solve a dispute. If if two parties weren't able to uh, get along at times, they would make an oath. And so we see an instance of this again in the life of Abraham. Abraham has this dispute over a well with a guy by the name of Abimelech. Now, Abimelech says, hey, I, this well is mine. And, and Abraham says, no, I actually dug this well and my sheep uh, are, are drinking from this well. And that was the purpose of this well. Abimelech says, no, this is not your well. This well is mine. And so in order to settle this dispute... They make an oath, and, and Abraham says, you know what, I swear that I drug, dug this well, and I'm going to give you these lambs, I'm going to give you these sheep, he gives them to Abimelech as proof of this oath. He says, I dug this well, here is this oath that I'm making with you, and that settles the dispute. They, they believe each other, and they each go their own separate ways. We see oaths and vows all throughout the scripture. You might remember a bad oath that Herod took. Mark chapter 6 talks about how his daughter Herodias, a, a, um, uh, a, uh, this daughter of Herodias rather, a girl by the name of Salome, she dances before Herod and uh, she's there at his birthday party, his birthday celebration. He loves her dancing. He says, listen, I swear I would give you anything that you want up to half of my kingdom. You might remember what uh, she asked for, but she says this. She says, I want John the Baptist's head on a platter. That was a bad oath. There was a judge by the name of Jephthah. Now, he was so full of joy that he makes this rash oath. And he says, God, I will sacrifice the first thing that comes through the door of this house. And it was his daughter, you can read about it in Judges chapter 11. But these owes, these vows were a seal, to seal an agreement or to settle a dispute. That was the purpose. That was the function. That was their role. Today, we don't usually use O's all that much. We have lawyers and we have contracts based on mutual distrust of each other, right? <laughs> but... <clears throat> Why is Jesus bringing this up? Why is he talking about this? What is the problem here? Problem number one, I'm going to say this here, and maybe you agree, maybe you don't, but here it is. We are liars. That's the first problem. We are liars. We exaggerate all the time. We exaggerate the truth. Just think about a fisherman. I caught a fish, and it was this, this big. We exaggerate. We tell half lies, partial truths. We shade reality. We promote the best. We lie. And God, knowing our sinful nature, actually encourages oaths in the Old Testament. Knowing that his people were prone to sin, to lie and cheat, God says to his people in Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 20, he says, you shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. And by his name, you shall swear. You shall take an oath. The problem is that we are sinners and God says, you know what? I want my people to be separate. I want my people to be distinct, to be different than the nations around them. One of the ways that I want this to happen is for my people to actually speak the truth. And so one of the things that I want my people to do is to take O's in my name. Because if they do that, that will help to speak the truth. To bring a higher authority to the way that my people talk with other folks. In order that that you would do what you actually say that you're going to do, I want you to speak the truth. I want you to be different than the nations around you. What was discouraged by God was to take an oath and not fulfill it. As we heard in the Old Testament verses that we read earlier, and even here in Matthew chapter 5, don't swear by the name of the Lord if you are not going to do what it is that you've said. So first, the first problem is that we are liars. But the second problem is that we are looking for loopholes. We, we're always looking for ways to navigate our way around the rules. That's why I think people like places like Walmart so much. Yeah, You know, when, when I was growing up back in the day, I worked at Walmart. Uh, one of the summer jobs that I had while I was... Uh, In college uh, over the summer, I I had three jobs this one summer and One of the reasons for that was because I was trying to make as much money as I could in order to pay for college And I found that if I worked all the time, I actually wasn't going to have any time to spend any money either But I worked at walmart in the evenings and what was amazing is The kinds of things that people would try to return it's the middle of june. Someone comes in with a christmas tree now, it has no box, no barcode or anything like that. Just a tree and an old crinkled up receipt. And I'm thinking, you know what? This person probably used this at Christmas time for Christmas. And now six months later, they're trying to return it. But whatever, we'll take it back. Or, uh, you know what? This watermelon is so, it was so tasty. I I, I couldn't uh, keep from eating all of it. I ate it all but only what's left is the rind. But all right, you know what? We'll take it back anyway, right? You know, I I bought this thing over at Target, but it seems so far away to go all the way back to Target and try to return that thing, so I thought I'd just return it to Walmart. Sure, why not? I mean, makes perfectly good sense, right? People love loopholes at Walmart, and it's a great place because, hey, we can return anything. What about going to Six Flags? Um, you know, it, it can be really expensive these days to take your whole family up to Six Flags. But you know what? If, you're, if you have a kid that's two years old or younger, they can get in for free. And so people all over the place are trying to find ways to get their seven-year-old to pass as a two-year-old. And we're always looking for loopholes, right? We're sinners. That's what we do. And that's why Jesus says in verses 34 through 36 of Matthew chapter five, he says, but I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven or for it is the throne of God or by the earth for it is his footstool or by Jerusalem for it is the city of the great king and do not take an oath by your head for you cannot make one hair white or black. You know, the religious leaders of that day, this is what they were doing. They were trying to find a system in which there was some wiggle room with their oaths, their vows, the things that they said. Because everyone agreed that if they brought in the name of the Lord into a statement, it was binding. It was serious. You had to follow through with that. And so they were trying to find ways around this. Let's make an oath. Let's make a vow. And we will bring in a higher authority like heaven or earth, or Jerusalem, or ourselves. And we're just looking for loopholes around this, ways that we can uh, break these oaths. In fact, in the laws of that day, there were pages and pages full of commentaries of what an oath was and what an oath wasn't. An example of this is if you swore by Jerusalem, it wasn't a big deal if you broke that oath. But if you swore towards Jerusalem, then it was you better keep that promise because that was a big deal. And they were just kind of playing with their words. Matthew chapter 23, Jesus speaks about some of this. And he says some things, some woes to some of the religious leaders of the day, some of the scribes of his day, the Pharisees. I'll read just a few verses from Matthew chapter 23. But Jesus says this. Woe to you blind guides who say, If anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools. For which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, If anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? It's like Jesus is saying, you know what? You are constructing this whole system in which you're trying to find loopholes around what you have said. Now, we might be tempted to point the finger and to... uh, look down on the people of that day, but we can do the same thing. You know, it's so tempting to compartmentalize our lives, to invite God into certain spaces, and yet to keep him out of other spaces. What's interesting is that this Greek word here for oath literally means fence, to uh, create an area of restraint. And what I fear is that we, like the religious leaders, uh, set up these fences, create these spaces where God is not invited in, For instance, we invite God into our families and we'll say things like, hey, you know what? God, I need your help to uh, raise our kids. Help, Give us wisdom. Help us glorify you as a family. But then when it comes to our business or when it comes to our work, we put these fences around and we keep God at a distance. You know what? I'm going to put a fence around my finances. Uh, God, I'm not going to allow you to mess with that area of my life. Got to give you my Sunday. The whole day is all yours, but I'm putting a fence around the rest of the week. That part is mine. It's for me. We compartmentalize things. We create spaces where God is not invited in. And that is what the Pharisees and the religious leaders were doing in Jesus' day. They were creating a language that was keeping God at a distance in certain areas of their lives and inviting him into other areas of their lives. Jesus destroys this idea in verses 34, 35, and 36 of Matthew. And he says, you know what? You, you want to swear by heaven? You think that's somehow going to keep God out of your language? Well, that's his throne. You, you want to swear by earth? You think that that's going to keep God out? That's his footstool. Oh, you want to swear by Jerusalem? Jerusalem? You think that you can keep God at a distance by swearing by Jerusalem? You've got to be kidding me. He is the king of that city. You want to swear by your own head? What are you thinking? Who are you? You can't turn one of your hairs white or black. Jesus is saying, you know what? There is no space that you can create where you can somehow keep God out of that space. He is above it all. He is in it all. There is no fence that is high enough that he cannot jump right over that thing and get right down in the middle of it all. And he is blowing through this whole system that the religious leaders had set up in order to keep God out. As I was studying this, I found a quote by William Barclay, a Bible commentator from years ago. And he said this, he said, life cannot be divided into compartments in some of which God is allowed and others of which God is not allowed. There cannot be one kind of language in the church and another kind of language in the office. The fact is that God does not need to be invited into certain compartments of life and kept out of others. He is everywhere, all through life, in every activity of life. He hears not only the words that, were, that are spoken in his name, he hears all words. What a great word from William Barclay shame on us for trying to create these fences these spaces where we say God this is uh, how I'm going to behave and this is an area that you're allowed into but you're not allowed into this place over here that is what the people of Jesus day were doing and he addresses it right here now as we come to the latter part of this section we're, we, we want to talk just a little bit here about some principles. What is it that Jesus wants us to learn? What are some principles that we can live by here in this? First, the first one that I want you to think about is this. It is okay to swear. Now, I'm not talking about cursing. I'm talking about making a vow. I'm talking about making an oath. To do something, it is okay to swear. You know, there are certain religious groups today and they'll, they, they'll take this paragraph from Jesus and they'll say, you know what? Jesus is forbidding a Christian to ever take an oath. And, and so if you're ever called for jury duty or something like that, you're, you're never supposed to be sworn in. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's not saying that we should never take an oath. What he is saying is don't compartmentalize, don't make a fence, uh, don't don't set up these loopholes about what you say. There are times when it is appropriate to make an oath. Think of maybe a wedding day. Isn't a wedding day an appropriate time to call on the name of God as your very witness for the words that you speak? Or, I remember making a vow to the Lord when I was a young boy and saying, you know what? God, I am a sinner in need of a Savior, Lord. I, I give my life to you. Make me who you want me to be. Use me as you want. I want to follow you all the days of my life. I made a vow. I made an oath to the Lord. And so there are times when we, when, when making an oath is okay. It's a good thing. In fact, God himself made oaths uh, again we could use uh, Abraham as an example. Hebrews chapter uh, six, verse three says this. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no greater, no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself. You see, God could not call on any higher power to prove his worth, words uh, because he is the highest authority. Since he had no greater, no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. God made oaths. God made vows. He makes a promise to you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. He has made a promise to provide a pathway of salvation for you. Paul made oaths. He would say this in Romans chapter 1 and verses 9 and 10. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers. Paul thought that it was so important to tell the people, to let them know, listen, I am praying for you. And I'm not just saying that I'm praying for you, but as God is my witness, I am praying for you. In the letter that he wrote to the church of Galatia, he writes and he says, listen, I've been thinking about you. The the things that I'm writing you are true. I I do not lie. I am speaking the truth here. What he says, even Jesus would make an oath when he had been arrested and was in front of the high priest Caiaphas. Caiaphas uh, keeps asking him and, and says, who are you? Who are you? Tell me, tell us, who are you? And Jesus didn't say a single word. And then we read this, Matthew chapter 26, Caiaphas says to Jesus, I put you under oath by the living God. uh, Tell us if you are the Christ, the son of God. And for the first time in front of Caiaphas, Jesus responds and he says, yes, it is as you have said. So even Jesus, in this important moment, speaks under oath. And he says, yes, it is as you have said. Friends, listen, it is okay to make oaths, to make vows. But the second principle that I want you to see here is this. Let honesty be constantly on your lips. Let honesty be constantly on your lips. Here, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, verse 37. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. We're to speak the truth, right and wrong, black and white, yes and no. Let honesty be constantly on your lips. The Bible is full of verses about the person who runs away from lying lips. I'll give you just a few of these from David that he writes in the Psalms. David would say this in Psalm 119 and verse 29. Put false ways far from me and graciously teach me your law. Psalm 120 and verse 2. Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. Psalm 5 and verse 6. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. Friends, we should be a people who have honesty constantly on our lips. And don't get me wrong, it's not easy. This is hard to do at times. And so what do we do? How do we proceed with this? We do it one sentence at a time. One sentence at a time, one truth at a time, allowing the Holy Spirit to come to lead you, to guide you, to speak the truth. The last principle that I want you to think about is this, let your integrity be your only credibility. Let your integrity be your only credibility, meaning that you live your life in such a manner that people believe what you say. That your yes is yes and your no is no. Your character and your conduct proves your integrity and gives you credibility. You you don't need to call down some grand oath. You you don't need to make a pinky promise. You don't need to cross your heart, hope to die, stick a needle in your eye. No, you are known as a person who keeps your word. Let your integrity be your only credibility. Friends, I don't claim to have this all down. In fact, I fall short of this constantly. I, I make promises to my kids and I'll promise them something and then something else comes up and, 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 I'm not, and I don't do it. I don't come through. I, I've made promises to some of you and then I've forgotten what I would say, that I, what I've said that I would do. It, it's not right. My integrity gets affected at that point, right? Because what happens the next time that I say that I'm going to do something, you might be thinking to yourself, you know what? I don't know if I can actually count on what Jason says. I don't know if he has credibility on this in this area. What would it be like if we as Christians actually lived this way? That honesty was constantly on our lips, that our integrity was our credibility. How would our business practices be affected? Our neighbors, our family members, how would our community be transformed if what we said, if, if we said the truth and we lived the truth all the time? Again, we, we, we can't do this on our own. We, we can't do these things that Jesus is asking us to do in our own strength. We need help. We need the help of Jesus Christ, the one who was perfect in every way. He had the perfect character. He had the perfect conduct. His words never fail. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. Think about what Joshua would say about the Lord near the end of his life. Joshua chapter 23, verse 14, we read these words. He says, and now I am about to go the way of all the earth. I'm about to die. I'm dying. And you know in your heart and soul, all all of you, that not one word has failed. Of all the things that the Lord your God promised concerning you, all have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. What a beautiful testimony about how God keeps his promises. And friends, he calls us by the power of his spirit at work in us to do the same. We're not alone. And so in our homes, in our communities, in our workplaces, in the church, may we be a people of integrity and of credibility, a people of our word, a people who let our yes be yes and our no be no, a people who are marked by the very character of God. Let's pray.